Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the first ever Olive Magazine podcast. My name's Laura Rowe, I'll be your host. I'm the editor of the magazine, you might have seen my face at the front, but each week I'll be talking to lots of members from the Olive Magazine team and our expert friends. First up, I'm talking biscuits with Janine and Gregor. We are absolutely obsessed with them in the office and we've been using them in lots of recipes lately, so they're going to be talking to you about that. I've also been speaking to Charlotte, who's been on a trip to Slovenia recently for us. She is tipping it as the hot new foodie hotspot. And I've been speaking to Sarah, our drinks expert. She's just got back from the London Coffee Festival and learned lots of things with the team behind Caravan Coffee Roastery. So first up, we are going to be talking about biscuits. Uh, We've got uh, myself, Laura, the editor. We've got Janine, our food editor, and another biscuit fan in the office. We've got Gregor as well. So, guys, why do we love biscuits so much? Well, um, biscuits are something that feature heavily in all of, not just in our snacking, but also in our recipes. Um, We do a lot of twists on classics with biscuits, and we also incorporate them into a lot of the recipes we've been doing recently. Yeah. One of our covers, our February cover, if any of you guys uh, bought that, had jammy dodgers on, which is my personal favourite biscuit. We love a dodger. And (laughs) what we decided to do with that was to kind of give them a slightly posher. I mean, we, you know, we, we kind of like the classic jammy dodger, but we decided to make it a little bit posh by um, making a very delicate vanilla shortbread biscuit and filling it with some very good quality jam. Um, and it was a, it was a big hit. So. Yeah, well, they were so buttery, weren't they? Yeah, and, and crumbly. Yeah, really, yeah. really delicious. Gregor, what's your favourite biscuit? Chocolate Liebknitz. They're my favourite. They're also a mouthful. The milk chocolate ones. But the unfortunate thing about them is because they're so excellent, I can only ever eat an entire packet at one sitting. Okay. (laughs) Just one packet. So so I I usually have to avoid them, otherwise I would eat a packet of biscuits every day. But Viennese uh, creams are another of my favourite biscuits. But... Um, I was just looking earlier at the Daily Express, the, and uh, from from uh, May uh, 2015, they're twentieth on the list of the UK's favourite biscuits. The favourite biscuit of the UK is uh, milk chocolate digestives. Interesting. I actually share a biscuit love with Prince William. <laughs> Do yeah. you now? I'm I, I, I love a rich tea. <laughs> <laughs> I go really plain on the biscuit front, and yeah, I found out that me and William. Yeah, plain plain (laughs) biscuits are excellent. Those little pink wafer ones, the sandwich ones, they're my favourite. I know that's slightly freakish. Well, they remind me of my nan, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of um, what we found was that biscuits do invoke a lot of nostalgia Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it would be something that you were given around your grandma's house. Um, And I think that's why um, a few of our recipes have been very successful. For example, we did a custard cream blondie 
Um, a blondie's like a, um, well, it's a blonde version of a brownie, so it uses brown sugar rather than chocolate. And um, and what we did was we kind of, within the brownie mix, the sort of fudgy brown, sorry, blondie mix, we um, we buried uh, custard creams and then we mm. crumbled them on top. So you kind of got this squidge and then you got the crunch as well. And it went absolutely insane online. Everyone mm. loved it. Um, loved it so much that we got all over excited in the office <laughs> and said, what can we do next? Yeah. And came up with the um, bourbon biscuit brownie. Yeah, they went crazy yeah. for it, didn't they? <laughs> if any of you follow us on social media, on Instagram or Pinterest or Twitter, you would have seen that, well, hopefully you would have interacted with us there, but everybody just went mad for them, didn't yeah. they? And, and yeah, again, um, I think it was because it's, it's so recognisable. You had the sort of crunchy biscuits inside and then the sort of, bourbon biscuits on top um, and I think it sort of ticked it a little bit of nostalgia in people's brains and yeah they went a bit mad for them. They just look great don't they with them because um, in the recipe I don't know if any of you guys have seen yet but they're all on top so when you cut them up and, and serve them in the office or yeah. whether you're taking them around for friends or something they just look immediately yeah. inviting you just want to have about three or four. Yeah we were, we were amazed that um, uh, we, we couldn't find Holly you know there weren't many recipes around that used them. We could find um, recipes for Oreo brownies, which Oreos are uh, becoming more and more popular in this country, mm. as are a lot of American biscuits. And we just thought, well, let's do with, you know, the bourbons, the bourbons. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about both of those recipes, I think, is that they're, they're excellent because they're like an amalgam or a marriage of a sort of a very American coffee culture thing with a very British tea thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like the, the, you know, the UK invasion of the church in the <laughs> 1960s, sort of reinvention of rock and roll by British culture there. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. But you actually struggled to find biscuits for the yes. uh, sheet, um, The day that I spent an hour and a half walking from shop to shop, <laughs> feeling more and more crestfallen as I did in search of um, bourbon brownies, um, couldn't understand why I couldn't get them. Um, I went to five corner shops, uh, a couple of well-known supermarkets, um, was ringing, we were actually shooting the recipe in the studio. I was ringing the studio to say, there's none around, I don't understand, I can't find any. Uh, we did eventually find some. Um, apparently, uh, Hurricane Desmond shut down one of the largest biscuit factories just after Christmas. So yeah. there was a massive shortage of both bourbon biscuits and custard creams. Yeah, I think it's only just opened up now, hasn't it? So luckily they're back on our shelves, so don't panic readers if you do want to make this yes. recipe. You should be able to you should be able to buy them freely now. But at the time it was it was very stressful yeah. knowing that we our shoot relied on me yeah, bringing back the packets. It's a United Biscuits factory in uh, in Carlisle, yeah, which is that's the, right, the yeah. second biggest big biscuit factory in Europe. I know, I can't believe that yeah. they could produce that many, that, it, that it could totally shut down. <laughs> First biggest is in, in uh, Harleston in northwest London. Is that right? Also United Biscuits. But the one in Car Carlisle is the only place that makes cars table water um, and also ginger nuts. So, so that was, um, it was, it was worse for them, although they make a lot of brownies too. All right, well, this is a fun fact. So I like to dunk my ginger nuts into chicken oxo. Okay, Whoa. that's I know. pretty gross. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. No, just me? Okay. Constantly surprised Good. me. <laughs> okay, awkward. So I think that's probably time for us to move on to our next bit of the podcast. Okay, so now we're going to be talking to Charlotte Morgan. She is our web end commissioning editor, and she's recently been on an amazing trip to Slovenia. 
Um, and we've also got Sarah Kingsbury, our drinks writer here as well. Um, we're all going to have a little bit of a chat about where you went, what you did, mm-hmm. and great dishes for us to try if we go there. So, yes. Charlotte, talk to us. Where did you go? Well, for those of you who don't know, Slovenia is a very small country and it is sandwiched in between Italy, Austria, Hungary and Croatia. So it's got a lot of yeah. influences from all over. And obviously, the nearer you are to a certain country, the more influence it takes from it. So those parts which are closer to Italy, you'll find a lot of prosciutto that Mm. they make, um, a lot of wine, similar wines that they make in that part of Italy. Uh, So it's very interesting because it depends on where you are, relates to what food you have. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just such a stunning country. And um, what they said over there is that they don't get many tourists. And I just can't understand why, because it's so beautiful. And the water there is Caribbean blue. Um, Caribbean? Caribbean blue, sorry. (laughs) Uh, It's it's just, I think, 70% of the country's forest. They have all they need in terms of salad ingredients, and they're very big on their herbs. Everywhere we went, it was the focal point of the food as opposed to a garnish. Interesting. So what herbs are prominent over there? Uh, well, this one restaurant we went to, which was called Majirija, I'm sorry about the pronunci- pronunciation, which was in the Vipava Valley. Okay. Um, they are super huge on their herbs, so much so that they have this massive herb bed and the rooms, it's a restaurant with rooms, the rooms are actually underneath the herb beds, underground, wow. and every room is themed according to a herb. So they're really hot on it. Uh, and within a one kilometre radi- radius, they can source up to 40 different wild herbs. Wow. So it's just like unheard of, and you get a lot of eager herb enthusiasts going <laughs> over there with their um, bags, picking up everything. Uh, examples, they really like dandelion there, not, okay. not herb, but they fry it, they fry the leaves. We had dandelion in a very light tempura batter. How was that? Delicious, very really nice. It's quite peppery, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so it's a bit like rocket. Yeah, uh, not quite as intense. But you can do a lot with it because it holds its shape. Okay. And um, we also had it chopped in salads with egg and balsamic and oil, okay. Italian influence yeah. there. And they literally just go and pick it from out in their garden. Their garden is the Slovenian mountains and valleys. <laughs> it's incredible the, what they do and there's some really excellent chives and they use the whole thing okay. the flour and everything which is just the most explosive taste not not just the chives that we're used to mm. but the whole purple flour and it's really good and they even use the yellow flour of a dandelion to make fake honey so they okay, make a, that work? they make a sugar and water syrup and then they bash the yellow of the flower up and infuse it so it look it takes on the color and it looks like honey but much cheaper apparently it's not really popular anymore and vegan as well presumably in yes. that instance yeah i suppose yeah. it would be but um they they, they do in, in family homes they still have it apparently in certain regions another thing that came across really strongly is that it really changes depending on where you are in slovenia as to what you eat, even within five minute drive, it will really change. Okay. And they all make their own wine, and they've been doing it since we went to a, a wine cellar that was seven hundred years old, and it's pretty much been the same family making wine since then. So they've got this real heritage that is only just coming out now. I went to Slovenia about fifteen years ago, and the food wasn't great; it was yeah. pretty much crackers and cheese. But now it's totally different. Although there's nothing wrong with a good cracker and cheese. That's true, <laughs> definitely. But, but they're doing all sorts, uh, and like I say, it's all very local. They all know the producer, yeah. the next door neighbour, or cousin, or something like that. This is part of their 
it's part of their identity. It's not something that they flog mm. or to try and sell something. It's just what they do. It's not a fashion. It's just mm. how they live. Whereas yeah. here, it's very much used to try and sell something on a menu. You know, this was made within 10 minutes of here. But yeah. there, it's just... This is the vet's name. This is the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> grandmother's aunt. Exactly. Yeah. But in, in Slovenia, more so than anywhere else I've ever been, is so part of who they are, which yeah. is really inspiring. Really fantastic. For those of you who don't know, we have a regular travel section in the magazine, but it's always got this food focus. And, and you know, I absolutely love reading all the features. And Charlotte's feature on Slovenia is going to be online shortly. Um, so make sure you have a look at that on olivemagazine.com. But you always find out these um, unusual cuisines you might not have heard of before, which is so unusual at the moment when, you know, we're all so well-traveled. But it's great to find these unusual spots that people just don't know about. Um, and that's what I really love about reading them personally. Yes. But so we're talking about wine. Anyway, going back to that, um, you mentioned to me when you got back that you tried an amazing orange wine out there. Yes. Yeah. And in, in near towards the Italian side of the okay. country in a restaurant called Hissa Franco, which is uh, generally considered one of the best in Slovenia. Um, but Sarah, our drinks writer, knows much more about orange wine than <laughs> I do. Still quite limited knowledge of orange wine. It's really um, new over here. Only a couple of places have kind of latched onto it. Um, it's quite a challenging wine to drink, though. That's probably why, definitely, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Is it it's, wrong to say that it tastes like cider? No. <laughs> no, not at all. A lot of people say it's got that kind of farmyardy mm. taste. Yeah. Um, it's made in kind of a similar way to rosé in that it's, you know, it's orange wine or it's skin contact wines. They leave the skins in contact with the liquid for a couple of days, maybe a week or so um, at the beginning of the fermentation. And that's what gives it that kind of, it's more of an amber colour mm. than orange. Mm. Um, but yeah, I struggle with some of them. Yeah, We've got a really lovely column by our new wine writer, Kate Hawkins, in um, the next issue, which is all about orange wine. So there's lots of that's in our May issue, isn't it? The orange yeah, wine. Yeah, sorry, the May issue. Yeah. Um, you know, Marks and Spencers are now doing orange wine places like Lyle's, and you said you had one at the Ritz. Yeah, the Ritz launched a new wine list um, earlier this year. It was in January, so no dry January for me. Um, mm -hmm. But I got to taste 40. <laughs> uh, it was a great day working next, uh, the next day. But um, So, yeah, 40 different wines, and two of those actually were orange wines, and, and one was from Italy, which I really, really liked. And... Um, is it Slovenia that orange wines originally come from? Um, I think it's actually Georgia. Okay. Um, it's a really ancient process. They've been doing for you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. Yeah. They're made in these kind of clay pots. And actually, the High Street bottle um, that we recommended, or that Kate's recommended in the May issue, is um, a Georgian wine from MS. Okay, great. So that's a great place to go and try it. Yeah, I think they're one of the only retailers at the moment where you can get a really good value orange wine. So yeah. they're a great one to try. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, if you are interested in reading more about orange wine, then head to olivemagazine.com or pick up the latest issue, um, our May issue, which has got that gorgeous uh, egg and a hole sandwich with avocado and chili jam on the front cover, which is absolutely yummy. So you have to try that. Um, and if you want to read any more travel features as well, head to olivemagazine.com. Okay, so now we are talking to Sarah, our drinks writer again, but this time we're talking about the non-alcoholic variety. We're talking about coffee. And we've also got Alex Crossley, who is our editorial assistant and digital writer. So, guys, you went to the London Coffee Festival a few weeks ago, right? And yeah. had quite a good time. We had yeah. a little bit too much coffee. I think we had about <laughs> five espressos in the space of about an hour. Yes, yeah. and a lot of coffee cocktails as yeah, well. Yeah, a bit shaky afterwards, yeah. but you know, it's an amazing... <laughs> 
amazing <laughs> event. They do it in um, New York and Amsterdam as well. Yes. So it's a whole weekend, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a whole weekend. They've got all the massive coffee roasters down, loads of, you know, techie equipment and stuff. If you like coffee, this is like paradise. Yeah, so you've got lots of different types of coffee to try, lots yeah. of different regions, talking to presumably roasters. Yeah. Did you meet any coffee um, growers or anything like that? or any? Um, no, we didn't meet any growers, um, but we did speak to a lot of kind of specialty roasters okay. who go out themselves and source the, the green beans from yeah. the growers. We actually tried a really amazing, um, super, super rare coffee from Clemson Sons. Mm. Um, Where are they based? Are they London as well? They're London based, okay. yeah. It's um, Clemson's Arch. They've got their own um, arch named after yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> in East London. And they had a Colombian coffee, which is normally kind of really bold and chocolatey, but it tasted, it was incredible. It was so yeah. light and floral. It tasted kind of like an African coffee but was grown in Colombia. Yeah. It's really fruity, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah really interesting. Really yeah, and then a couple of weeks before that, we went to um, Caravan, which is originally opened in Exmouth Market, and now they've got a massive um, kind of multi-purpose site in King's Cross. In Super that big, cool site. Yeah. yeah, it's a great place for brunch as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've got Sunday. restaurant, they've got a little coffee bar, and they've got their coffee roastery, which so, is, yeah, all open to you, so you can go and pop in and see what they're doing um the roasters are going pretty much all the time it's really busy yeah. it's really you can yeah. hear like the, the roasters in the background and smell and, the coffee. yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's amazing just to go and poke your head around and chat to them they're really they're, they're really nice and they'll have a chat with you about what they're doing and yeah there's they have this massive um the the big roast and there's that it's always going round with the yeah. wheel and everything and it's quite um, mesmerizing isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah. Going round. yeah yeah and um, yeah they're really happy to chat about the different beans they use yeah and they're they're so dedicated um they've got a team of guys who travel all over the world they've been to six places so far this year and they've got another nine lined up i mean that's pretty cool so job. Yeah. That's, yeah i know incredible <laughs> job um and their jobs they go and they talk to the growers and they source the best beans possible and work out the best way to then prepare those beans and you know they give back they educate the growers as well um that just the amount of effort that they put into it is really really astounding and we were talking to um simon lathwaite who is the head of education at caravan about the different varieties of coffee that you get and you know i didn't realize i think we were all so busy you know, every day we kind of make our coffee and we don't think about it too much. Yeah, you just press yeah. a button, it's there, exactly. it's done. Yeah. Um, but there are over 300 varieties of coffee That's in the crazy. world, which is insane. I mean, it rivals wine. There's yeah. probably as much to know, if not more. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's different because people are less aware of, well, people who don't know a lot about coffee are less aware of what they're looking for. It's actually more complex yeah. than wine. It could sometimes yeah. be quite intimidating, though, if you don't yeah, know exactly. what you're looking for. I'm not a massive coffee drinker myself, but I do like the sort of more floral, fruity yeah. coffees that are a bit more like tea, if you, if you didn't know yeah. much about coffee, um, instead of the really dark, roasted, bitter flavours that you can sometimes yeah. get. But this is what you're talking to Simon about, right? Yes. So uh, we spoke to him about kind of where to look for the different types of coffee that you like. And it's all about, you know, you, if you go to a supermarket shelf or you walk into a coffee shop and they've got five different blends, how do you pick the best one for you? Yeah. Let's hear from Simon and see what he has to yeah. say. Is the aim of 
cupping, should you be able to tell, oh, this coffee is from Colombia or this coffee is from Ethiopia, in terms of flavours, you know, like wines, you can tell, oh, this white wine is from Burgundy. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. So, like, I'm, I'm learning. Um, in terms of tasting anything that's specifically foreign origin, um, I'm, I'm definitely on the, on the right path and being able to distinguish those flavours. But what we have is like a sommelier for wine. Um, Sam, our head green buyer and our roastery manager, he's he's a Q grader, which the Q just stands for quality. He's able to go and grade coffee at origin, test coffee that comes in, and definitively give an answer to how a coffee is tasting or the quality of a certain coffee. So certainly he can sort of taste the coffee and go this might be from the Huila region in Colombia or right, you know so this is from specific, yeah, like, it's, it's pretty wow. gnarly when you're tasting with him because he can sort of point it out and be like no that's not that coffee that we all think it is and he'll go no it's not and be correct so if you know, as a customer coming into Caravan you've got several different blends that you're using all the time like say I wanted a really chocolatey coffee kind of what regions would I be looking at I mean you like Generically, you'd be looking yeah. at something like Brazil or Guatemala for something that's a bit more chocolatey, a bit more bold and body. Um, that's sort of how they uh, run quite, um, what do you call it, like in their lineage. Like that's just how they, how their coffees tend to taste. It could be something to do with the lower altitude and the soil conditions that give off those flavours into, into the trees. Um, a lot of it is to do with varietal, so the type of tree that's planted in a certain region. Yeah. Um, not all of them can be grown in different areas, so you can't sort of take a, an SL28 from Kenya and, and make it the best that it, that it can be in other parts of the world. You can really take it to Brazil and make it shine um, because it's designed SL28, it's not a, a natural name, yeah. um, it's a man-made hybrid, so it's formed in Kenya and it grows best in Kenya. So they, are, they, they do have... Uh, Findings where they're taking them to, to Colombia and different origins and finding some some use for them there with a bit of with a bit of tweaking as well. So it's a very new like this hybridizing and the, the different tastes and using different varieties. It's quite new. So yeah. you're not we're not sort of shipping trees between origins all the time and it's not something that's been done a lot recently. Um, early on in, in the in the history of coffee, we've we've found a lot of that transforming and moving of coffee between origins just to see what it was like. Um, we're taking a Veerloom varietals from Ethiopia and Sudan and originally to Central and South America, sort of brought up the yeah. coffee, the heritage in those regions. Generally, African coffees are a bit kind of prettier, a bit more floral than Central and South America. Is that right? Yeah, you've got a lot of, a lot of bright and acidity, brightness and acidity and clarity from coffees out of Central and South America. Um, generally because they're, they're using a lot of wash coffee so it makes that inherently gives off those those kind of profiles but um, yeah I, I guess it's a lot of, more to a soil content than sort of what I would tend to think of first um, whereas Ethiopian soil tends to give like a nice floral black tea component, component to a lot of the coffees regardless of the processing that it has washed or natural so um, when you start putting natural coffees on the table you just get fruit you get you get a lot of fruit you get a lot of flavor a lot of body going on
So that was super, super interesting. But don't panic if you didn't make it to the London Coffee Festival. One, we regularly have uh, festival roundups in the magazine and online. So if you're ever looking for something to do over weekend, you could always check out those two places to find out ideas. Um, and we've also got uh, a feature that Sarah's put up recently of great places that you can go to learn more about coffee across the country. So whether you're looking for a professional barista course or just if you're a massive uh, coffee geek like some of the people in our office are, <laughs> you can go and find out more and drink lots of coffee, hopefully. Yeah. And also, don't be afraid to speak to your barista. They've got so much knowledge and they're so willing to share it. They're so passionate, so, aren't they? Yeah. That's the great thing yeah. about these guys is exactly. if you get them talking, they will yeah. talk and yeah. talk and talk. Get really geeky about it. Yeah, yeah. which we love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. All right, thanks, guys. So, thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. Subscribe now on iTunes, listen on Acast or your favourite podcast app. And don't forget, if you want any extra information about any of the things we've been talking about today, you can head to olivemagazine.com. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. And you can always email us too. All of our details are at the front of the magazine and we look forward to hearing from you. Happy eating, folks. <laughs>